Mind Over Matters is intended for small business owners who are open to new ideas for improving their businesses. The mind or mindset is usually the single biggest factor that determines the success or otherwise of a business. It is the first thing to work on. Next comes the matters of the business. Strategy, accountability, implementation and getting a full order book. Plus all things small business besides. If you learn just one new thing that gives you pause, then I have achieved my objective. Hey everyone, it's Peter Crew Brown here. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Over Matters podcast by Pair Planning. The topic for today is businesses fail because people stop asking questions with Jeremy King who is best described as a serial entrepreneur. A bit more about Jeremy. Jeremy started his career in photojournalism in London in the mid 1980s. He was sent to the Brisbane Expo in 1988 and he worked in ad agencies for the next eight years. He then worked for Kerry Packer for two years in mergers and acquisitions. And I'm sure that was an interesting time for him. Uh, Jeremy then went to New York and worked for Time Warner, where he fell in love with retailing. On his return to Australia, he went into fashion, opening the first insane store in the Sydney CBD. From that start, Jeremy opened six more stores and sold the group in 2003. Jeremy then changed a little and moved to cosmetics retailing, founding the Gloss Cosmetics Group, which grew to 63 stores across Australia. Gloss, Gloss ran for 17 years and closed its operations in 2018, with turnover at its peak of $60 million each year. So about today's podcast. When Jeremy started in retail, he was a rookie retailer and had a problem knowing what questions to ask. So he asked heaps of questions and listened carefully for the right answers. Jeremy learned that lessons, sorry, Jeremy learned the lessons of humility in hearing the truth from speaking to experts. He was never scared to admit when he did not know something. This will be the focus of our podcast discussion today. So, Jeremy, turning to you now that I've done the introduction. Yeah, thank please, you for the introduction. <laughs> please share with the audience what makes you tick and uh, who in the business community you serve. Uh, I, I know that you are in a period of, I guess, in between things, but yeah, maybe in you know, the most um, recent work in you've between, done. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very conscious of your audience and uh, you, you mentioned you know, the audience for your podcast. So, so I think it would be good to mention that um, I've been involved in multiple businesses over the years. Hospitality is quite a big area at the moment, but I've been involved in everything from manufacturing, design of products, distribution, retail. I mean, across all countries and, uh, and certainly a lot in Australia with up to 60 retail stores, bricks and mortar stores. So that, that's kind of a, a bit of a, a summary of that. But um, at the moment, uh, I'm focusing more on commercial uh, property and uh, certainly on uh, hospitality industries. And so you've moved 
out of um, the sort of cosmetics and um, fashion retailing that I guess was the, the main focus of what you did through the 2000 to 2018 time frame. Yeah, I, I mean, I started with fashion. Um, I tried one store um, in CBD Sydney, as you mentioned, uh, many, many years ago. And uh, we literally started with one store and popped it up um, just off Pitt Street, uh, opened and it was a success. So, I mean, that's how it started. Uh, after a long corporate career and, and running through advertising agencies and mergers and acquisitions and time water ahead of marketing I, and coming out of advertising, I wanted to just do something for myself. And um, I've still been quite young back then. And uh, I literally opened a fashion store with no experience at all. I mean, I've never been involved with female fashion, um, but I felt I had a couple of contacts and met people involved in fashion. And, and uh, I, I thought it's an area that might work quite well in Australia. And so I tried it and it did work. Fantastic. Uh, just, um, I guess, moving a little away from retailing, uh, most people um, in the Australian community would have heard of Kerry Packer. And um, oh, yeah. I know that you worked for him for a couple of years. Are yeah. there any interesting stories uh, during that time that um, you'd care to share with, with the audience? Um, probably not. I mean, it was hard work. Um, there's, Kerry's got a reputation and uh, that, that's exactly how you work. I mean, you work very, very hard, long hours. And um, it, it, no, it was a good time. I mean, it taught me a lot about uh, moving quickly. And, you know, we were doing mergers and acquisitions. So it was, it was a different area than retail. But we were involved in news agents and opening news agents. And um, so there was a lot of leasing. I did a lot of commercial leasing through that period, a lot of restructuring. And um, yeah, Kerry, Kerry uh, pushes hard and gets results. And um, I, I was thankful, thankful for the experience, that's for sure. Uh, a steep learning curve, no doubt. Yeah, every and day I'm was sure it new, stood new you day. in good stead for what came next, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't, I, I, I think could, we were talking more about retail. I mean, retail bricks and mortars, which has changed more into a lot of online now with discussions I'm having these days more about online, but bricks and mortars is so important. I mean, one of the things I keep saying to people is, you know, you've got to get the bricks and mortars right. It's your brand, it's your look, it's your feel, it's the touch points where people come in and discuss products with you. Um, it's interesting how so many conversations are online where the website and the marketing does the work, but the bricks and mortars are still so, so important. And there's some amazing retailers in Australia. So it, it's still working very, very well. Yeah. Well, that's a great, uh, I guess, shot in the arm for bricks and mortar retail because there's yeah. so much talk about the move to online, but at the end of the day, you know, retail is a tangible thing and you need to, have a presence for many um, types of retailing people want to touch stuff they, they do and I think um, the convenience of online is definitely always it's, it's going to improve and increase and of course it's um, so fast now the delivery times are so fast but you know you I'm, I'm actually in a shopping center today I'm actually at Pacific Fair at, uh, at a gym you can probably see the protein powders behind yes. me I'm about to hit the gym after this and um, you know I've been walking around the shopping center early this morning and I was here yesterday training there's some beautiful shops and, and beautiful presentations. And um, without that, you know, to me, for me anyway, it's not a full retail offer. I think my, for me, just online has a purpose. 
but having a combination, I mean, they omni-channel all the buzzwords they use, but having a combination of online and bricks and mortars is, is to me, the ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, now that we've, I guess, just covered um, a bit of an introduction um, yep. and spoken about your experience and your career so far, I just want to move into a bunch of questions uh, yeah, no to problem. get into the substance of the podcast. The first question I had is, you might remember, uh, we, we did some work together uh, many, many years ago, I think about 15. And I guess my question for you is, what were you looking for when you know we first met? Because I know it was in the early days of Gloss, and I'm always curious to know what yeah. I had you come looking for someone you know with my background. Well, I mean, it goes back to, uh, um, you know, I'd already been involved with Insane, which grew to about just under 20 stores and I sold it to BBL Capital. Um, and then I had a period of six months and um, I sat back and invented gloss. So I really sat back, I developed the brand, I developed the, the look and the feel, what I wanted, the store design. I sat back and I thought, okay, well, I'll do one, one store and incubate it for six months and then, then move from there. I, I think we met because I reached out. I wanted to find someone to really look after what I called a very young team at our, our very young head office, which was literally in Alexandria. We opened a small office with a small crew of people that were very young and inexperienced. And I wanted someone with a more mature uh, look at it. And also, Peter, I wanted someone there that I, I wanted to get to the storefront. I wanted to meet customers. I, I've never been involved in cosmetics before that time. I wanted to see what the customer looked like, how they spoke. Uh, I wanted to really be out of the office. I, I don't think being in the office is a great idea when you're opening a business. And I, I, to answer your question is that I really wanted someone there to overview some of the younger teams that we were building and, and, it, and it worked well. I mean, it, it, was an, it was a really good setup. And I would have to say with the benefit of hindsight, um, you know, I've been doing this type of advisory work um, since 2003, which is, I guess, coincides with you kind of getting into Gloss. And yeah. um, it was one of the more exciting um, organizations I worked with uh, in those early days. Oh, of thank Gloss. You. And a lot of it was, you know, a bit seat of your pants stuff, uh, making stuff yeah. up as you go. But, you know, obviously putting in place systems and getting as robust as possible with your ambitious growth plans and uh, yeah it was um, an experience that I, I really enjoyed and uh, oh, uh, you know of all the entrepreneurs I've met over my my many years in business uh, certainly uh, the time working with you sticks out in my mind as as something particularly exciting it was it was a crazy time and uh, I know that you went on and created some some great things yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I thank, thank you very much for the compliment. I'm glad, glad we enjoyed I mean, you enjoyed your company as well. I mean, the reason why it was seat of your pants and so exciting was I'd, I'd moved into an industry that I saw was massive potential. Obviously, it was budget cosmetics. So um, it had never really been done. There was no Sephora. There was no Mecca around much. And, and of course, the pharmacies uh, had not got into cosmetics so much. So really gloss was the only standalone cosmetic store and um it was fast i mean we i incubated the first store i think you came along at the end of the first store yeah and i and i incubated the first store um with some basic systems and basic accounts basic supply chain management account system and and really then as soon as i saw the first store working and the turnover was um 
it was very strong and the margins were strong and I worked it out. And then I really wanted to open 10 stores. Mm. And, um, you know, to open 10 stores in, in 12 months, I think we did it in 16 months. Um, I needed to go out, see the shopping centers, walk the shopping centers, talk to leasing people and get an idea of where these would go. And um, I, obviously then if you're, if you're back at the head office, it would seem fast and furious, I'm sure. sure. Um, but we put some good systems in place. I think one of the reasons why uh, this podcast really interests me was one of the things I wanted to get across was I'm a really system, systemized person. So I, I, one of the things you and I both agreed on was the second we met was we needed very, very strong systems. 2003, the technology was just coming in, software, great planes, Pronto, or, you know, SAP was was obviously an option, but it was a very expensive option. So we started off a little smaller. Was we, you and I, we sat down and we absolutely said, right, it's almost ten o'clock Monday morning. This is the these are the numbers we look at. Eleven o'clock. Let's look at this. We we were looking at very 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 tightly at GP on every eight thousand SKUs in this business. Yeah. We were looking at every single margin on every product, and we had very set times to do it in, and it was. One thing I can get across, and I, I see it, I still do a, a little bit of consulting, especially over this last 12 months with COVID, which I didn't mention to you before. I've, I've literally worked for some of the biggest retailers in the world, and um, I won't mention any names, but because um, obviously there's confidential agreements in place, but uh, you know, 100 million to really a billion dollar companies. And what I still find when I go in there is they, the reporting is not consistent. And it always surprises me, big yeah. or small companies. And it has to be consistent. It has to be so accurate. Um, if you can walk into any shop, um, clothing store, if you walk around any shop and you walk into a shop and they're out of stock of something or they look on their POS system and they don't know why the item's not on the floor or where it is in the storeroom, this is the inconsistencies that I've been talking about. It has to be live. One of the things with Gloss was it was a live infantry system 20 years ago. And so every single item, we knew what was in the store, on the shelf, what position it was on the shelf, the rate, everything was done, replenished three times a week to store. The systems were so tight that it became a business that you just could not um, understand straight away by looking at reports. And I find that's a big problem even now. And this is 20 years later. I'm still finding yeah. a problem in businesses. Yeah, I remember those heady days. Um, there was lots yeah. of, uh, I guess, cobbling things together and big focus on, on dashboards and knowing what is happening yeah. in the business by store every sort of minute of the day. Um, yeah. Jeremy, just moving on to the next question. Um, how and why did you move to cosmetics after working in fashion at Insane? Okay, this is a, it's quite an interesting story. I've never told it before. But what happened was when we sold Insane, um, I got an offer for it. And, and through the due diligence process, there was obviously a handover period. It, it, Insane was a pure female fashion store. Most stores uh, turned over between two and three million. There were stores around Australia. What I used to do was have a very, very small cosmetics offer on the counter. So it would be black eyeline pencil, lip gloss. Uh, it, was, it was very small. And it was a company in America. We used to import it called NYX. And, and it was sold you know, on the counter. We never paid that much attention to it. When I went to sell Insane, what I noticed was in the sale process was those items were actually 
moving very, very quickly. And when I spoke to previous staff members, they, they identified it as an area. So I literally looked at cosmetics, but I wanted to go into the value market. Um, obviously I had plenty of time between, I had about six months between Insane and Gloss opening um, to, to really work a plan through. And, and obviously product planning is essential when you're opening a cosmetic store. So I mean, that, that's, that's how we found out. We found out by accident that cosmetics was obviously a huge area to go into. And um, I mean, how did you go about, you know, launching the the first uh, glass store? I mean, I, I guess merchandising, getting your product organized, th those would have been big challenges and you'd only worked in much smaller volumes up until that time. Um, well, fashion clothing is, is completely different, but it, we were manufacturing the clothing in, in China and designing it. So it was actually quite a very vertical business. What I decided to do with the cosmetics is, is have a split approach. I would have uh, Australian brands, uh, Chi Chi, Sugar Baby, Model Co. I would have that offer in the store as established brands in Australia. And we, we were also uh, offering American brands as well. Yeah. But I wanted to manufacture. Um, I wanted to manufacture cosmetics. Um, obviously, with one store, you know, we're very difficult to manufacture cosmetics. But obviously, as we expanded, we, we, we grew our manufacturing. So we had a house brand. So the business was split between house brands and um, Australian uh, boutique brands, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't didn't take long. I mean, we, we were bringing in uh, one year. We bought in a million black eyeliner pencils. I remember that year where we hit a million of one single skew. That's extraordinary. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, the volume you can do in Australia is 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 quite high at the lower price point. And yeah. I love the manufacturing side. And obviously, as you know, um, and I'm sure you had your hands on my reports back then, the margin was very good if you were manufacturing. We were manufacturing in China and we were importing um, cosmetics in uh, for, what, 20, 20 years. So. And, um, and of course, the private label came off that. Um, one of the things, Peter, uh, over the years, I split the wholesale and manufacturing away from the retail. Um, it's something that your, your basic customers might, might understand too, is that really having it all in one office didn't really work for us. We needed a massive warehouse. It was 17,000 square meters. It was uh, custom built. Um, we were manufacturing, designing. We had, you know, you'd have designers of products, uh, so you could design the caps on a lipstick and design the logo. So it, it reached that point very quickly. Within five to six years of opening, we yeah. we were in we in that area, and then we started offering private labels, so we could wholesale um, cosmetics as well. So so the business ended up retail, online, retail bricks and mortars, and then also manufacturing private label, and then a house brand for gloss. And a lot of your um, online, you were one of the, I guess, early movers in that space. Yeah, like 20 years ago. Early. Yeah. yeah, yeah. we had to write software. I mean, we literally had to code software. There wasn't a package out there. You could do it. I, I, I think for the lower price cosmetics offers back then and even to today, it's a tough online product because it's sub $10 and sub $12. And uh, obviously postage uh, uh, can kill that. But, um, you know, we were very early in it and we always kept up an online offer. And yeah. um, I always saw that that was going to be a massive part of the business, more in the prestige product. And I'm sure um, I'd love to see Sephora's online uh, offers, but I'm pretty sure their online is a huge part of their business. Yeah. And so towards the end of your time with Glass, 
in 2018, were you doing a great deal of online sales? No, um, I didn't focus on it. Um, again, that sub $10 category is tough online. You, you know, they, yeah. they, the consumer would have to multiple purchase and build sure. it up to get the postage to cover. And, and I think also with TikTok and Instagram and the, the you know, Jeffree Star, if you look at some of these wonderful influencers that are out there with cosmetics, I mean, they've just done an amazing job. Yeah. Item Beauty on TikTok has launched 12 months ago. And the American um, beauty industry in the, they call it mastige now, this sort of lower bracket uh, cosmetics. That market has moved more to uh, an influencer TikTok area yes. and, and they're doing an amazing job. I mean, it's just, I mean, the amount of work they do is amazing. The marketing is phenomenal. Sure, mm. excellent. Um, look, just changing um, direction a little. Um, I hear that commercial leasing can be a real problem in retail. We did speak that's about a, the importance a, of bricks yeah, and mortar. So I guess my question for you is, what was your strategy at Glass regarding you, you know, your commercial leasing needs? I, th I think, um, I mean, for, for bricks and mortars for commercial leasing, I think the first thing that's really important, and, and I liked your title today, is ask questions to people who know. The people who know and they're not your enemy are the shopping centers. I mean, I had a great relationship with Westfields and still do, Len Lease, AMP, Gandell, vicinity these people are your friends and you need to talk to them uh, i mean commercial leasing is not complicated i mean obviously you've got to find the right location and the deal's got to be right but also the legals is really understand the legals and the, and the contracts and and obviously um very very important but but the, the westfields are your friend not your enemy uh, and uh, they do an amazing job at getting the right uh, tenants in the right area and uh, I hear so much negativity about shopping centers but I've actually never had that experience I've yeah. had over 75 commercial leases in Westfields alone and um, I've never really had a problem with them if you you've got to ask the questions you've got to open up dialogue um, and and you've got to move quickly I mean uh, you, you know, if you've got competition coming up, I think when we started Gloss, uh, we had Diva coming up behind us, Jay's room, Equip, with accessories and cosmetics. And, um, you know, you want to be leasing and, and moving quite quickly. So we, we moved quickly and accurately. And uh, at some points, we were doing eight to 10 stores a year, uh, which is quite a lot for a small business. Sure. And so what would you say your strategy was around commercial leasing? I mean, did you have a strategy per se? Um, I, I think the strategy really is to know the centers. I mean, you know, it's very easy to open a shop in the wrong location. Yeah. Um, you, you, I would fly to Western Australia and spend two or three days walking the center at different times and have lunch there, have breakfast there, just to see the traffic flow. I, I've also never been one on going into brand new centers. I find that it's a bit risky. That would be a strategy to avoid. A brand yeah. new center, obviously they have CapEx to spend and it's very enticing for them to pay for the fit out. But I think also you can end up in the wrong location. I mean, you, sure. you just don't know the traffic flow of the center. Yeah. So I've always avoided that. Established centers, established walkways. Um, certainly you wanna be around uh, brands that are similar to you. And the very basics of it is the food courts are together and you wanna get around the cosmetics and accessories together and the high end fashions together. You wanna stay in those type of areas. Yeah, and I guess, you know, stating the obvious, but location is everything, isn't it? 
Yeah, of course. And that goes back to actually going to a centre and spending two or three days. I mean, it's a luxury to spend two or three days walking around centres when you've got big businesses and you're a CEO. But I would I did all the leasing myself. Um, I never really hired any agents or anyone to do external leasing. I felt that it was so important to get it right. Yeah, yeah. and I think by and large, you did get it right. Yeah, I mean, I think I made two or three stores where I would have liked to have changed, but... Um, you know, that's not too bad out of 60 or 70 stores. So. Exactly. Very good. Um, Jeremy, uh, the next question then, um, what was your approach to attracting customers? Obviously, customers are the lifeblood of all businesses. You know, what is your particular strategy? I mean, these, you, if you go back to 2003, I mean, you had no, really no internet. I mean, 2010 was when the iPhone came out. Um, so, you know, I come out of advertising. So obviously, I had a massive background in marketing. Look, um, a lot of the work we did was um, store promotion back then. So it would be constant store promotion. We were one of the first companies with insane fashions to actually um, design software to message people. It sounds crazy now when you talk about technology, but we actually designed software to SMS uh, message people. But we did massive email campaigns and we just, every time something new came out, as soon as Facebook came out, we would market on Facebook and then Instagram comes out. You, you have to be so constant. I mean, TikTok's out, Snapchat, you have to be on all channels. Uh, marketing is is relentless. It's not something that you do in little patches and and do it when things are slow. You, it's it's a it's a one year program. Every year I program it out and I say this is what we're going to do. Budget it and attack it. A, a marketing is an attack, and um, you have to be so so relentless at it. Yeah, and so that was your thing. I mean, as soon as new technology and new platforms came out, you embraced oh, yeah. them and and used them for all oh, yeah. they were worth. I loved it. I, I actually love, I love seeing things on TikTok. I, I love the fact there's technology out there that's always bringing people. I mean, it's amazing now. You can, you can put a. I mean, you, you and I are doing a Zoom, uh, you know, interview. It's amazing how many people you can reach now. I mean, when I started out in the 80s and 90s, CRM systems were kind of like an unknown thing. I mean, to reach people, you really, really had to had to work really a lot harder. I, I think it's amazing. Technology is amazing. Now. Yeah, and you've always embraced technology, haven't you? Always, yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. a dif differentiator. I mean, you nowadays you have to be uh, up with technology all the time, or you get left behind real quick. Yeah, and the, and the, and you know, we, say for example, gloss, which I'm not involved in now, but um, you know, it's young uh, teenage girls that have got a limited budget and they shop at cer certain times. I mean. They've, they've got a hell of a lot of uh, uh, social media to look at. I mean, a lot of them are on Snapchat, TikTok, and mold multiple social media channels. You've got to make sure that you're actually putting something to them of value. And one of the things with marketing I see is, is not just posting a picture of a girl doing a lipstick. It, it has to be funny. It has to be uh, beautiful. It has to be of value to that person. And um, you still see fashion companies that are struggling with their marketing even now, even though they've got quite big businesses. But the ones that get it right, uh, I mean, you only have to look at some of the influencers now. They really, really know how to market themselves and um, yeah. they do a great job. Great. Well, look, thanks for those. Um, no, that's all right. I hope that those, those nuggets. Um, Jeremy, moving to the final question I had um, for you today. Um, for the benefit of the audience, what I'll say three of the biggest roadblocks to creating a retail chain like you did uh, in your career? Um, three of the biggest roadblocks. I mean, I guess the first one that always comes to mind is financing it. Uh, you know, 
I was lucky with Gloss to have the money from the sale of another business to to sit back, take my time and develop it, develop the brand. I don't think that's always the way it works when you first start out. And, and um, you know, when you're first starting out, of course, money money is always a hurdle. I would always say I would always say that you're never going to have enough. <laughs> That's just yeah. the way it works. I mean, sure. I've done shop, I've I've done shop fittings and budgeted three hundred and fifty thousand for small stores that ended up five hundred thousand. So it, it it can be tricky. You might hit hurdles. So you've just got to have the funding, and um, how you get that funding, is, of course, is up to you. But um, I I think the Roblox also is supply. So a second one would be supply product. You know, um, I've had literally. I remember one Christmas. Um, we had two 40 foot containers drop off the side of a shipping boat and we lost our Christmas. Literally drop off a boat, right? They literally dropped off in a storm. Yeah, so, yeah. We, so, so I was told anyway. And yeah. um, even, though, even though we were insured, I mean, you just don't have the product in the store and then you lose customer base, you lose traction. Yeah. Um, there's, there's hurdles gonna come up. And um, sure. I don't think anyone can foresee some of the problems. And I think when you reach out to me about this interview, one of the things that I, I think is so important when I first started out uh, in retail, was having people, not just mentors, I mean, you can have a mentor, but having a small group of people that have been in retail for years that can literally say to you, hey, a shipping container might fall off a boat. I mean, it's just so unexpected. It, it, you need someone to flag some of the things that are gonna come up. And yeah. once, you, once you put them in, into your working day and you yeah. understand them, they don't become a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can mitigate those types of risks, can't you? So, totally. As long as you know they're coming up. And of course, you need a small group. People, people like yourself, people like myself, I'm always available to younger retailers. Um, over the last, say, two years, I've casually spoken to quite a few. And, and some of the things I flag, they, they're amazed that that might happen. And of course, six months later, you get a text message, it happened. And yeah. um, and these, these things are really important to know about. So sure. I would say those two things, those two things, getting a group of people and obviously funding. Uh, I think the third, the third roadblock is your own energy and your own passion. I, it might be a strange one to talk about. I, I'm passionate. I'm always passionate about everything, as everyone knows me. They always always think I look excited, but I think a lot of businesses just run out of steam. Whether they get too big and they become a little slow, and the staff just get disinterested, the products are getting a little tired. I think those that's that's a big roadblock. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're maintaining that, the rage. You, yeah, like you, what well, you mentioned when we first started, it was uh, fast and furious, if you like. But actually, yeah. I maintain that for years. I mean, I, I want to have an energy in a business, and um, I think just some brands get tired of their own business. And I think leadership needs to change. Sometimes you've got to. Ste I stepped away from Gloss. I think year ten or eleven, and I hired a CEO, and then I just overviewed it. Yeah. I think then it's a lot easier to maintain the passion when you're not working, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Sure. Um, so, so that would be a roadblock and, and keeping fit and, and uh, going to the gym and, and keeping fit. A lot, of, a lot of new owners in small businesses, they tend to work so hard and they forget about themselves. Yeah, yeah. No. So that's a big thing for me. Good advice. Um, so, Jeremy, that sort of, I guess, ends the formal question part of the, um, okay. of the discussion. Um, I just wanted to um, get a sense from you, if there's anyone in the audience who's curious to find out more and maybe uh, engage with you in some way, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? I mean, are you active on LinkedIn or one of the other I social am, channels? I've 
just become a member of LinkedIn or joined up in the last six months. And um, I have had a lot of like yourself contact with me and a few other people for podcasts. I think for small businesses um, starting out, it is so important to reach out. And of course I'm available on LinkedIn and they can reach sure. out. I had a small company. I mean, it's just an example. Someone reached out to me. I won't mention the name of the company because it's, it's, it's quite big now. This is about three years ago. They reached out to me informally and they were going to launch menswear. And I yeah. literally sat with them and said, don't do it. Don't bother. It's a small market in Australia, launch women's wear. And they said, well, we're men's designers. And I said, I don't care, launch women wear. It's the same amount of work in 20 times the market. Yeah. They are now, I think they've got 25 stores and they're doing very, very well. And so they so followed some, your advice. They literally followed the advice from that day. I think they looked a little confused when I said it. I mean, they were looking for money and they were looking for sure. different mm -hmm. investors. And that's actually not what you need. What you need is someone to say, don't do that. Sure. Um, and I, th I think, you know, I, I don't consult. Um, I do a bit of pro bono work for people and stuff now. But yeah. um, the most important thing is to just reach out to people like yourself, to myself, or anyone that's done multiple businesses, multiple disciplines. And sometimes that person just say, don't go in that direction and make a yeah. big, difference, big yeah. difference. And I know that's something that you've always said. And as you say, the subject of this um, podcast, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, you know, there's yeah. help out there and don't be too proud to reach out. Yeah, I mean, I see um, businesses um, that are struggling and um, they come up for sale and then you meet uh, the people who own them or the people that are involved in them and they just haven't asked enough questions. Yeah. And I see it all the time. It's like, you know, you've just got to go out and ask questions, ask everyone. I mean, I, I drive people crazy. I went, I moved into hospitality, Peter, um, a few years ago. I, I wanted to try it. So I opened a thing, a bar called Assembly Bar. And, um, you know, we, we ended up with a five and a half million a year turnover out of a yeah. small bar. Yeah, it was great. I mean, but I literally drove people mad. I, firstly, I don't drink much. I actually, I'm vegan. I, I, I don't go to bars for the last 20 years anyway. And so I literally had to ask, what the hell is a cocktail? How do you make yeah, it? Okay. I drove people crazy. And um, I went to Italy and I, I met people who know how to use wood-fired ovens. I, I, I went to competitions. I, I literally went to cocktail award competitions and got involved before I opened it. Sure. And I, and when I opened it, I felt like I may not, I may not have ever worked in this industry, but I do have uh, good knowledge of it. And I keep asking questions now as we, we as we open different hospitality businesses yeah. now. And doing your research up front is always critical, isn't it? Uh, up front, but do it all the time. I mean, yeah. I mean, the market is changing. I mean, your your nineteen year old female customer base is shifting around through different social media, but they're shifting in style and taste as they as they move up. You, you've got to really, really ask the question every day, not just sure. when you start the business. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, um, it's been a great pleasure to have you on Thank the you. show today. Um, you've really been very generous with your thoughts and ideas. Um, yeah, really great to, to catch up again and, uh, and share your wisdom. Yeah, well, it's lovely to see you after all these years. And hopefully we'll catch up in person. I'm actually uh, visiting a family member in Queensland at the moment. But uh, when I'm back in Sydney, I'd love to catch up with you in person. I'd like to do so. And so thanks just, again. Just finally, this is Peter Crew Brown signing off from Episode 7 of the Mind Over Matters podcast. Thanks very much, Peter. Thank you.